Good afternoon. My name is Janae Hardiman-Kemp, and I am the Vice President of Operational Administration at the Yamaha Resort and Casino at San Manuel. I want to welcome all of you in our viewing audience, as well as our panelists, to today's discussion on service excellence. So, this is the Service Excellence Panel. If you were looking for something else, this is Service Excellence, so you definitely want to stay here because it's going to be a great conversation. Um, this is going to be a great leadership thought opportunity, and I want to thank each and every one of you for joining us this afternoon. So service excellence is the topic that I'm very passionate about um, as I lead and support the customer experience team here at Yamaha. Um, like all of our team members, we are all passionate, dedicated, and committed to delivering an exceptional, memorable experience for all of our guests each and every occasion. So um, I got to admit, I'm very excited today, a little bit nervous. I, I don't often host panels. I'm trying to channel my inner Oprah. <laughs> so um, hopefully you'll bear with me and hopefully our panelists will bear with me as well. We have a group of extremely accomplished, dynamic, and passionate, um, respected leaders in the hospitality industry today. With us, we have Luke Palladino, who is the president of Meta Hospitality Consultant. <laughs> we have Jennifer Loge with the Forbes Travel Guide, where she is the senior vice president of partner services for the Americas Group. Hello, Jennifer. Also, we have John Bordash, who is the founder of Bordash Consultant, Consulting Group, and our very own Axie Bird, who is the vice president of hotel operations here at the Yamabara Resort and Casino at San Manuel. So welcome to each of you. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us this afternoon. And um, I'm inspired and very excited, and I hope our audience, our viewing audience is as well. So I've given some very brief introductions for everybody. I'm going to ask you if we can go around and maybe you can kind of give us one or two minutes um, kind of your career journey, um, how you landed where you are today, and the impact that you have on service excellence in your respective organizations. So with that, um, Luke, would you mind starting us off? Sure, I'd be happy to. So I grew up in, in New York. I was born in New York. My father was from Queens. My mother was from the Bronx, Italian family, second generation here in America. And I grew up, of course, around food and holidays and festivities and weekends and Sundays were a big deal in my family. And I just loved it. I loved everyone's input. And, and my family was from Southern Italy, mostly, and all different regions from Sicily uh, to Abruzzo and Basilicata. So there's a lot of different styles of food that we had. And I remember just hours at the table and uh, gesticulating and, and, and arguments in Italian that so we, so we couldn't understand as kids. It was, uh, they were, they were wonderful moments. So I got into, so I started working when I was 13, washing pots and pans in restaurants because I wanted, you know, surfboard and Nikes when they first came out back then. And <laughs> that was when I fell in love with the kitchen because I just liked it. They were like pirates and, and uh, I kind of fit in. And I, that was it. I, I, had, I was lucky in high school when most people are trying to find their way and are not sure what they wanted to do. I always knew I wanted to be a chef. So after high school, I went to the Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park, New York, and attended there, got my associate's degree in two years. And then from there in 1989, I went on to work with in New Orleans. New Orleans was really hot back then. I went to work with Emeril Lagasse at Commander's Palace. And that was his pre-BAM days before he was the Emeril that we know now. It was really a great experience in New Orleans to work with him and the Brennan family. 
And from there, I went up to Boston and Cape Cod and Philadelphia and worked in some restaurants. And being of Italian heritage, I knew there was more to Italian cuisine than what was being presented in America. And I really had this yearning, this desire to go see it. I had no idea how I was going to do it. So I saved up some money, got on an airplane with my knives and a backpack. And uh, I had a few restaurant names. And back then there was no internet. So there was really no way to research. So I got some books and some guides and a couple of names. And I flew to Rome and started knocking on doors uh, wow. and, and, and offered to work for free. And I assured them that I was a good cook and that I could execute. Um, Back then, my Italian wasn't very good. And so it was hard to communicate and a little terrifying. It sounds glorious, but it was a lot of hard work and it, it, but a great adventure. I ended up over five years working in about 25 restaurants all over the boot, up and down, north and south. I met the president of Slow Food, Carlo Petrini, who really took Mender's wing and then, then the world opened up. I met restaurateur who introduced the winemaker to other restaurateur and they'd say, this kid is good. He works hard. He can cook and take him in and, and teach him. So I go work for several weeks at a time or a couple of months. And then uh, eventually I became partner at a restaurant in, in, in Venice, very well known called El Cobo. So and dear friends of mine. So about five years, I came back a couple of times, worked in San Francisco and around. Uh, I, I love to travel clearly. And from there, I was home in New York in 1998. I came home to, to visit and some, I guess some journalists told someone called me from the New York Times that I knew and they said that a man named Steve Wynn is opening a casino in uh, in Las Vegas called the Bellagio and I had I couldn't remember the name uh, and I didn't know anything about Las Vegas and I wasn't a believer because I said it's the desert how can there be any good food in a casino town and I've never been in a casino and I don't I wasn't interested however they said come meet Steve and and he wants to see you and by the way he wants to fly you out on his jet tomorrow will you spend the weekend in Las Vegas and I thought well and I was totally out of place. I said, okay, I, so I get my backpack and like completely, you know, dressed like a 29 year old. And I get, I meet him in, in this plane that's loaded, you know, covered in gold plated everything and beautiful and a big bedroom and such. And so he was such a kind, great storyteller. So for five hours, he told me the story of Las Vegas, just what he did with Mirage and, and Bellagio and then Jardin, which was going to be, which became the Borgata after. Uh, a couple of years. So it was a fascinating trip. They took care of me for the weekend and wined and dined me with the, the other chefs. So I figured, well, I, I could trade Italy for Las Vegas for a while. So that's what I did. And that was a big move in my in my career. Wow. There, I spent about two years there. And then I went to the St. Regis in Aspen with Todd English and helped him open restaurants in New York and there. And uh, I met a man, Bob Bogner, who was the CEO of the Borgata Boyd Gaming at the time. And he asked me to, if I was interested in opening three restaurants at the new Borgata Casino, an Italian-themed casino Atlantic City. So I did. I opened three restaurants uh, with him. And that started my Atlantic City journey for about 18 years. From there, I worked at restaurants at Harris and Revel and Caesars, and then some local places and in Philadelphia. And I consulted with Isla Caprice and Southern Properties. So it's kind of a broad range. So that's what I did. I can, it was a pretty crazy period, and a lot of fun, a lot of learning. And then That's from great. there, I came back to Las Vegas in 2016, worked with Steve Wynn again. And then I started my other new company now, Meta Hospitality. And what we do is it's a development solutions company. So we, we from start to finish, food and beverage, culture, concepts, ideation, we help build it all. And uh, it's very exciting. I'm very fortunate to work with Sam Manuel and Yamava and the new Palms Casino Project in Las Vegas. Wow. And that brings us current to today. 
Luke, that is an incredible story. I love hearing people's stories, right? Oh. I wish I could be a better storyteller, but um, clearly I think you have some incredible experiences and I'm really, really gonna add some interest to the service excellence conversation. So thank you. Thank you. Um, Jennifer, do you wanna go next? Happy to, and by the way, thank you for including me on this. It's, uh, it's great to meet everybody. Absolutely. I will be very brief, but Luke, I was thinking that my background is a little similar. I grew up on a farm in northern Michigan. It was a dairy farm, and I wanted to, I was in charge of the chicken coop, and for any of you that have ever been in a chicken coop, they do not come out that beautiful brown or white color on their own, so it's a disgusting job. But anyway, I told my father one day I wanted to um, get a, a different job. He said, I'll give you one day to find a different job or you're working on the farm. I was 13. I, we lived in a little resort community right on Lake Michigan, and I ended up getting a job in a motel. And I loved being a room attendant. That's, we weren't called room attendants there, but I loved it because I loved watching people on the beach and having fun and vacationing and living on a farm. You never get away. So I ended up going into the industry and went to Michigan State, got a hotel degree, landed with Marriott for my first several years, and fast forwarding to Forbes Travel Guide. So I've been at Forbes for 16 years, and I just love hospitality. I was also a dishwasher. I had two jobs when I was 13, and I'll do anything to get out of that chicken coop. So dishwasher, <laughs> okay. housekeeper. But I've done, I've had the pleasure of doing quite a few jobs within our industry. So that's me. Wonderful. Thank you, Jennifer. That is great. Okay, I'll remember the chicken coop story. <laughs> John, do you want to share your story? I will keep mine as brief as well. When I was 19 years old, I left this country. I went to London, England. I studied to be a butler administrator under a gentleman by the name of Ivor Spencer. Ivor Spencer was toastmaster to Her Majesty the Queen. And I was very fortunate to work for the Queen's cousin, Her Royal Highness, the Duchess of Kent. After studying there and returning back to the States, I worked in the restaurant industry, the hotel industry. Then I decided I wanted to be a consultant. I wanted to start my own business. So I went in and started teaching high-level service, worked in restaurants, teaching their staff in hotels. And then I branched out and started working with corporate executives, training, coaching. I also teach at universities. The areas that I focus in are high-level service, social intelligence, brand, and image. Wow. Wow. Impressive background. Thank you for sharing that, John. And asking how about you? So like my background is going to sound so boring <laughs> compared <Nah>. to <laughs> I should have gone first to be boring and then look to end up really nicely. <laughs> Never boring. Never boring. <laughs> well, I was born in Iran and I was raised in Germany. So I speak Farsi, which people are like, what is that? That's the language you speak in Iran. And um, while we were in Germany, I lived there for 14 years and we had a little mom and pop restaurant. So by default. I was forced to help out my parents to do their shopping and cleaning and serving. My mom was the cook. My dad, I'm not sure what he really did. He was telling us what to do. And then I had to do the rest of it. And um, after that, we moved to 
here to the United States. I've been in the States for over 31 years, and that's as long as I've been in the hospitality. So when we moved here, I didn't think I was going to end up in the hospitality just because I never thought I would work at the hotel. I started my journey with the Four Seasons Hotel. At that time, that was the Newport Beach Hotel in 1990. That's a long time ago. And my plan was to just work there for like six, seven months to kind of, you know, get my bearings to understand what, you know, people do here uh, with my German accent and Persian accent. And it was the most difficult time learning English at the same time. But then 31 years later, here I am still. So I was with Four Seasons for 18 years, and then I did some independent with Sage Hospitality, met with Terra, and then most recently with Montage International in Park City. And uh, I learned through this journey that I truly have the passion to serve. I love making people wow. happy. I love making my guests happy, my employees happy. And it is it is a job that you, like you do just naturally you know i wake up in the morning i really enjoy coming to work people always ask me when it's really busy why do you like it so much you know guests are sometimes not happy but to me at the end of the day the accomplishment when you go home is how everybody felt through the day those you know smallest little the the smallest little action that you take what ripple effect it will have on people is really what I enjoy the most. So 31 years later, and I've been with Yamava now for a year, which I enjoy a lot. Never had a casino background. It's my first time working for a casino, which was kind of scary to start with. But now after a year, I'm like, oh, I, I get this. I understand. And I'm truly, truly grateful to be here. So thank you. Wow. Okay. You guys have some incredible background. If I was a little nervous before, okay, I'm probably shaking a little bit. So bear with me. Um, you know, I, I, I always like to, so I, I, I always say I'm very basic, right? And I kind of like to level set things. And so often I found both personally and professionally that terms are tossed around and people think that they really understand them and they really know them, right? But then as you start digging a little bit deeper, people have different interpretations and definitions. And so service excellence is one of those terms. And I think just in some of the conversations I've had internal um, here at Yamaba, as well as other organizations, right? You kind of think everybody is talking the same language, but when you dig down, people have different meanings. So I wanted to think, and maybe we can establish a general definition and what you all define as service excellence, right? And what it means to deliver service excellence to your guests. You all have a lot of passion, but I would just be interested in, and maybe a couple of you throwing out some definitions. Maybe John, if you could start us off with how you define service excellence. Service excellence, if I had to kind of bottom line that, I would say exceeding your guests' expectations. And how that is done, it always in my past, when I studied to be a butler with royalty and we were in, you know, you would learn five-star hotels. So what's the difference, my teacher used to teach us, the difference between exceptional service and just good service. It's fine attention to detail is one. Fine, it's a succession of details. Number one. Number two is uh, exceed, to exceed the expectation of, I want to do that again and again on a consistent basis. And anticipating need, having it there before they ask. And I think the one that really seals it in the end is that warmth of delivery. Can you connect? All right. So 
everyone has that passion on the panel, but can we instill that passion in our front line, in those people who touch our guests and that they, they really exceed at that, love what they do and generate that warmth, that connection with the guests that keeps the guests coming back. Because if I have excellent service, if I do my process is wonderful and I do everything great, but I do it coldly, there's no warmth there. There's going to be no connection. So I think all of that together really defines what excellent service is, exceptional service. Wow. John, that's, a, that's an incredible definition. Thank you so much for that. Um, Jennifer, I'm going to go to you on this one as well. Seeing as though you um, are with Forbes Travel Guide, um, a preeminent premier um, resource in the hospitality industry. How do you define service excellence? If there's anything in, in addition um, to what John said. Well, I think John described it very well. And it's a lot of what we actually do. And so part of our job at Forbes Travel Guide as you know, Janae, is to rate hotels, spas, mm -hmm. restaurants, the very mm -hmm. best of the best of the best. So not hotels that raise their hand and say, I want to be inspected for a rating, but it's finding the very best. But then another thing that we do is the consulting side. And so part of our consultancy services is to help properties build the service culture that they want. So in thinking mm -hmm. about service excellence, I guess what I would add to what John said, because again, I think he was spot on. Service excellence is impossible unless you have an entire process or an, I mean, it's, it's not just serving the guests, right? It's finding the right leaders, which is so incredibly difficult. Without the right leaders and without the right structure in place, you will never be able to provide the service that you want to. So making sure that they have the understanding, the passion, a plan. You know, everyone always says, what's the difference between a four-star hotel and a five-star hotel? And honestly, it's all about a process and a plan B and a plan C and making sure that your team understands expectations and how to deliver those. So it's every single day, every single guest, every single time. So to me, that's really what service excellence is. Wow. No, that, that is a great definition and a great addition to everything um, that John said. So I'm going to pull out a couple of threads here because you talked about the leader, right? The role of the leader. And um, that is so critically important as we look at that, that leader um, helping to execute on processes, training on processes. But I think it, it all starts with hiring, right? And hiring the right people. And um, having an HR background, of course, there's certain things that you encourage hiring managers to look for when you look for people. Um, let's be honest, we are in a very difficult labor market today. And so a lot of great talent is doing something else or may not be interested in entering the hospitality right now. What are some of your thoughts and some of your advice that you could provide maybe to our audience about what you are looking for from a competency standpoint, from a characteristic standpoint, from a behavior standpoint in your leaders. Because if we find it in the leaders, we are confident or pretty sure that they'll cascade those, cascade those characteristics down to our line level employees. So um, I don't know, Luke, do you want to share some of your perspectives about what you look for in terms of leaders and leaders of people to deliver service excellence. Yes. So I, I have a thing. It's I, I 
people are these days it's hard because the labor market is so thin so it's important imperative and key positions to find the right people you, you hear this everyone touts that people are your most important asset yes however the right people are, the, are your most important asset you need to get the right people on the bus give them direction give them space to grow and to make mistakes and small failures so they can iterate and learn in the creative process and the sharing of ideas and I, the more open you are to this the more people will participate and it'll be better as a group. There's more collaboration and innovation that's possible. And I, I tell my team as well, how you do anything is how you do everything. And that's important in every single step and decision we make in, in doing that. And, and now in this market, being so thin, it's, it's, it's hard and it's crucial. And you have to just wait it out. If you don't have the key people there, it's important to wait it out until you find the right people to build a team. And then you don't have to worry about managing what they do because you'll have the people that are passionate, that have leadership skills, that know what to do, and they'll help you grow your business and your standards. Mm -hmm. Right. Absie, you're kind of in the heat and the thick of things right now yes. as we are ramping up hiring for the Yamaha Resort. So do you have some thoughts and perspectives you'd like to add? Yes, absolutely. I was going to just add to what Luke just said. Um, you know, when we are hiring, as you know, we're still hiring right now for Yamava and uh, we're looking for leadership. And so what I'm looking for is, you know, somebody with that passion, somebody with a genuine sense of serving somebody. And so, you know, guest services is truly serving, um, you know, and it doesn't have to be necessarily with the hotel background, because I always say, look at me. I didn't have a hotel background. I started somewhere somebody gave me the opportunity. Somebody trained me, you know, as long as we have a proper training and we are transparent and we are, you know, we're setting the expectation right off the bat and they have that personality, the passion, the core to work hard, the work ethic. I think that's a success story. So we're looking really with interpersonal skills, knowing that there will be hard work learning the technical aspect, but that's what we can teach you. Right. Now that, that is really great, Aspie. And just kind of a public service announcement, if there's anyone in the viewing audience who's interested, who has a passion for a job at Yamava, then please contact us. Because we're looking That's for correct. great people. <laughs> and I, uh, Call me directly. Call me. <laughs> If, um, if, I, if I can weigh in on that, weigh in on that point, I think Asi made a really great point. If you have those people with passion, you have really good leaders that connect to their people. You know, it, like you said, we're, we're kind of in the hospitality industry today. We have more positions than we have people. So that means really we have to become developers of talent. If we find that individual, like Lou says, that has that passion, uh, someone who can be a leader and someone who can we can train, we can mold, we can shape. I think that's that's critical, especially for organizations in the hospitality industry today. You simply you don't always have those people that come in with a background, a great background. But do they have that passion? Will they have that attention to detail? Will they, as Jennifer said, do that that process consistently again and again? If we can find those people, you can develop those people and create someone you know, help them shape and mold their career and mentor them into that individual that you really need. Yes, Nicely done, John. Wrapped it up with the nice big bow. Thank you. And I <laughs> no, absolutely. Luke, were you going to say something? I was going to say, yes, I agree, John, too. I'm, I'm less worried about, not always worried about people's skills or experience, but who they are. And do mm -hmm. they genuinely care about people? Are they warm? 
do they have emotional intelligence that we can train the skills we can train servers to put things on table and follow those but we can't teach warmth and human connection and that's what people are looking for in concepts and experiences now it's experiential and we have to contact create connect with people's it's an emotional connection that we need to create and that's what separates the best it is, and I remember when I, my first time, when I went in and I was accepted into Butler School, I asked my teacher, Ever Spencer, I said, what was the one deciding factor? Because he only accepted one out of 50 applicants. When I went my first day of class, there were only five of us. So mm -hmm. I asked him, he says, it was simply one word. He said, attitude. Mm -hmm. Attitude. Mm -hmm. Having yeah, the right know. attitude is key. True. Absolutely. You kind of answered my next question because... I was going to ask you, do you think that customer service, customer service excellence is something that is innate or something that can be trained? And if I understood what you all said, is that people have to have a fundamental passion for service, right? And then we can train you on skills to Jennifer's point with the right resources, the right processes. We can always get better. I have to tell you, um, at, at a former organization, I was um, co-leading the people team. And one of our initiatives were to make people feel very welcome when they came into the restaurant. And I remember this conversation and I said, well, maybe if people just treat you like they would if you came to their homes, right? And I made a, a major assumption there because I thought that everybody maybe would treat people like I would when they came to my homes. And that was a very broad assumption, right? Because not everybody operates like that. But I do, I, I think you, you might all hit it with your own personal stories and what you just shared. There has to be some real serious passion there to begin with, right? So that's great. So um, let's see, um, you know, very often we, we have teams, we work with teams and, you know, everybody, we talk about customer service and service excellence all the time. But so often our team members don't exactly understand the role that they play and delivering that experience or course correcting a bad experience. Sometimes they feel as though their job isn't so highly valued or that is not a part of their job. How do we bridge that gap? Maybe if you guys could share some of your experiences from real life or consulting experiences, how do you help people leaders help their teams understand the role that everybody plays and delivering service excellence and basically empowering team members to go out and to make the difference um, with our with our guests. Anybody want to take that on? Yeah, I think I will, Janice. Um, I think for me, it's very important that when you're teaching your team um, members or when you're um, training them that you actually know the job yourself. So mm -hmm. I have been fortunate throughout my whole 30 years, I have gone through pretty much all position. I don't think there's a position I haven't done myself. So it's very easy or more respected from the team when I'm standing next to them um, as a general manager when I was or the vice president, title really doesn't matter when we are out there serving the guests and teaching them step-by-step on step how the expectation is or what I would want them to do. But then I think the second to follow up on that is to watch your team, to give them the empowerment to make mistakes, but then to be there to give them an immediate feedback and train them. And it's, it's not like, oh my God, you did this wrong. It's more like, hey, can I ask you a question? Why did we do it this way when you and I had 
talked about it that day, more like a coaching environment um, and just being visible and available for the team so they can ask you a question. And then I think the fact for me has worked that I have done the position. So they're actually really, um, they're, they're interested that I go out there and I check people in, I stand with them where I go to housekeeping, they're welcoming that kind of behavior. I think that would be really good for all the leaders to kind of know the total aspect of what they're trying to teach. Right. No, I think that was that was a great perspective, Assi. Um, Jennifer, what about you? Again, Assi, very well said. You know, it, it, it does go back to leaders. Something interesting that I'm, I'm thinking about, though, is MGM Grand Detroit. When I was a trainer years ago for Forbes Travel Guide, I was working with a team, and we decided that you really have to figure out how to inspire your line team, right? The, the employees mm -hmm. who are doing everything for you. And everybody's inspired a little differently. And I was working with the valet team, Valley Parkers, and we went around a circle and I said to the first, they were all men. And I said to the first gentleman, you know, what really inspires you? What gets you excited about parking cars? And mm -hmm. he said, the money, hello, the tip. <laughs> Great. I went to the next person. What really inspires you? And he said, well, actually, I love, I mean, I get to drive some really amazing cars. I mean, have you ever driven, you know, ABC, you know, he listed off all these vehicles. To him, it was something totally different. Went to the next person. What do you love about this? And they said, I love our regulars. They always address me by name. I know them by name. They're, you know, interested in me. I really like that, that sense of being needed. And so as you can see, they're all inspired differently. And so as a leader, you have to figure out what's really important, what resonates with your team member, what you can bring out of them, and then they'll perform. So now I, oh, John? I, if I if I may, I just want to uh, just expand on something Asi said. I think she made a really great point is as the leader, all right, you're showing you're working with your team and having them understand that you're there with them because there are leaders who think I'm a leader. So you do what I tell you to do, go out there and I'm going to throw you into the deep end of the pool. Uh, that's not really a leader. You need to connect with your people. They need to know that you're there to guide them, support them. Let me give you a really quick story of something that happened and how it resonates with them. I was consulting one night in the Pines. They had me come in. I was training the staff and it was a very busy night and they needed some help. They got behind. So I started bussing tables. And I remember at that time, Frank Mangione was the manager and he just lost. He goes, no, 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 don't touch it. I go, listen, I'm here with them. We're going to, we'll, we'll bust these tables, get this taken care of, and we'll put the staff ahead. The next day I walk in, I had four servers say, hey, I heard the other night that you bust tables. Mm -hmm. If they understand you're there in the fight with them, it makes mm -hmm. a huge difference. They feel mm -hmm. that support. And then as Opsi said, you're there to guide them and work with them, shape them, mold them, mentor them. Then they have a piece in the game. They're not just someone performing this. They're a part of that family, that team. And I think that's so important. Yeah. And if I may to add to that, John, too, I think it's building with your staff is, is trust and rapport. So getting to know people, I always try to, if I remember, and that's this comes along with awareness, which I'll get to in a moment, is to ask people how they're doing, something personal, get to know them, what inspired people have you're dealing with so many people in the world and everyone it's life is tricky and it has its up and downs 
And no one, not the entire staff is going to have a perfect day every, every moment when they arrive. Mm -hmm. So building rapport, understanding them, showing empathy and compassion for people, then you build trust. And from there, as you're teaching them in the job, side by side, as we've all done, is to help them build an awareness to what they're doing, how they're feeling, the energy they're sending out into the world, what's their body posture, what's the body language, the posture, what they're doing, the words they choose. We all know this. How do you say things? Words are really important. All these little things that add up to the experience it, are, are very important. And to build this awareness as to what to look for in a customer, what to look at someone's expression, you know that they need something. It's almost like a precognition or an, anticipating their needs and being having that radar on the whole time. But the first spot is to check in with yourself. And that, I think that's really important. I think if I may, Luke brings up a great point. What he's talking about is taking that time to take your experience and help develop the staff, help develop your people. There's three questions I've always been taught that a leader asks. First one is, how are you? Because like Luke had said, you're dealing with a person. They could be having a good day, a bad day. You want to connect to them. As a leader, you want to connect to your people. All right. The next question is, how are we doing? Getting that, that they feel comfortable enough with you to give an honest on what's going on at that moment. Mm -hmm. And the last one is every leader should ask, how can I help you? How can I support you? And they know that's true. You guys, this is phenomenal. I'm taking notes, right? So for those people who maybe weren't able to join today, I'll be able to share some depth and probe wisdom. And as I'm listening to, to all of you, um, you're talking about this awareness and knowing and understanding your people are connecting. I, I, I feel as though there is the delivery of service excellence to our external customers, the guests that come in, but service excellence also applies internally to our internal team. And I think so often that is a myth within organizations. And, you know, as, as, I, as we're unpacking this discussion, because it's very complex, right? People think it's easier. How difficult is it to be nice to guests? But it is a, it is a much more complex um, um, ideology um, to provide that, that service excellence experience. So this is interesting, but clearly service excellence is critically important for our internal teams as well. It is. I think so, oh, go ahead, Luke. I'm sorry. Jeanette, I wanted to say it starts, you can't take care of your customers well and care for them if you don't build a culture of taking care of each other behind the mm -hmm. lines within your staff. That's mm -hmm. really, sounds really easy. It's really hard to do. And it takes a lot of focus. So we, we need to take care of each other first. And then from there, we can take care of others. And that's what the best right. teams always have, that component. Right. right. And, you know, somebody made the point earlier, I think it was in the definition, John, I think you talked about it. It was about that consistency and continuity of the experience for our guests, right? And we know this is not easy work, right? Dealing with everybody's particular interests and, and trying to please the guests and create these memorable experiences is not very easy. But to kind of stay the course and to keep it up and to continue it across that guest experience or that, that guest visit, um, that is a real challenge. And I think you guys really, really underscore the importance of making sure that we're taking care of our internal customer, our team members, in order for them to deliver on that. So thank you. That was that was some tremendous um, perspectives. So switching gears a little bit, um, so many organizations, much like Yamaba, Resort MOL, 
um, are looking at efficiencies. Um, Jennifer, again, earlier you talked about processes. And, you know, we also look at how can technology enhance the guest experience. But we also know when we add technology, we are minimizing those touch points of human contact. So when you're thinking about the customer experience and service excellence, what role does technology play? And with the addition of more technology, what does that service experience or service excellence experience ultimately look like? How do we continue to strive to accomplish that memorable experience with the utilization of technology and perhaps less touch points? Maybe if you could um, offer some perspectives. Um, John, as a consultant, how are you managing that with some of your clients? Well, I think technology is a wonderful tool. Uh, I know they're, we're working with the Alice system within Yamava, and that's a wonderful concept that I can put in something texted to, let's say a department, I want a car. All right, I need a car to pick me up uh, at the front of the hotel at six o'clock. It's amazing because it goes right to transportation, the car pulls up, but that touch, the touch point happens when that interaction between the driver and our guest all right. And that's where that warmth, like I said, the warmth of delivery and knowing the guests say they're a repeat a guest of ours. Oh, Mr. Phillips, so good to see you again. And then you can move. That's where that kind of touch point where the warmth is important when human being and human being are making that contact. The advantage of the technology is he can just text something on his phone and that service actually uh, happens. So it's kind of the connection be in between. I think you have to understand that's where the advantage comes in, where we want to make sure that we have that warmth of delivery and that connection. So if it's someone that, you know, there's certain players that I've gone started to know over the years, and I'll make sure that I always, you know, if they're in a restaurant, I'll go see them. You chat with them a little bit. You get to know them. They get to know you. You never want to lose that because we're human beings. Our brains are wired, and I teach social intelligence, so our brains are wired to connect. In that touch point, when that, that comes together, that's where we want to have that, again, warmth of delivery and that connection to our guests. I think the technology just makes that process a little faster, a little easier. It never replaces that human touch, though. Right. Jennifer, I would be interested in your perspective from a Forbes Travel Guide perspective on technology. I know you see so many technologies around the world. Maybe if you could give us some perspective. Technology is so important, but it's according to how the guest wants to use it. You can still be intuitive. You can still anticipate. You can still emotionally engage the guest. So, for example, we know that we are getting so digitally communicative. So if I use my Digi app to communicate with you on with the valet service, I'm ready for my vehicle. So per your directions, when I checked in, I'm texting this code via my phone to get my vehicle. So the very best operations are when a text can come back and use my name, you know, properly mislodge, let me know what time to expect my vehicle. And then from a guest perspective, I'm happy. I go down, my vehicle is ready. And then you can go above and beyond and you can have an umbrella available if it's raining, for example, and the guest wants to use it or you have directions ready if they need it somewhere. So that's an example of using technology in your favor. But again, it goes back to having a process in place. So thinking about what if the guest decides rather than calling and ordering in-room dining, 
they're going to use an iPad or the smart TV, whatever you've provided them as a choice. Let's say I have a two-year-old and I'm ordering chicken nuggets or whatever two-year-olds have, three-year-olds. Well, as an in-room dining team, maybe they see that order come from a children's menu. They take a quick look at the um, whatever computer system you're using, Opera or whatever, and they notice that, yes, there is a child in the room and their name is John. Well, then let's send up a little book along with in-room dining dinner for a nighttime story. So, you know, you have to think through all of the areas in which you do use technology throughout the hotel and then figure out what you can, you know, what you can glean from that experience to, to wow the guest. Yeah. Ashley, did you have anything you wanted to offer there on that one? Well, I wholeheartedly agree with what Jennifer and John just explained. I think technology is great. It makes it a little bit easier when it comes convenient for the guests to connect sooner if they're on the go with the designated department. But at the same time, there's still a lot of touch points, a lot of memories to be made. As Jennifer said, you know, when you get that text, you can either be very robotic in your response or not respond, or you take that extra minute and respond with the last name and acknowledging who they are. Or, you know, as John said, knowing that they're coming down, you can still meet them in person and still have all of those touch points and still anticipate their need and still deliver a very exceptional service. So the technology is here. It's not going anywhere. It's just going to get even more aggressive. It's just how we are adding those small touches to have those touch points in there. Right. Thank you for that. So as I was preparing um, to be the moderator for today, did a little bit of research and I, I ran across an article or a little blurb that talked about the customized experience. I think you all touched on that um, in, in this last question. And so, so many guests today are looking for that customized experience. They're willing to provide enough information about themselves and what they like and what they want and what they expect. And the expectation, of course, is that the, the business, the hotel, the hospitality group will deliver on that. And so I go back to our current labor market, right? And the processes. So as an illustration, I know AFSI is building a number of processes um, for Yamaba, right? And all of our departments are contributing. How do we get our teams to understand the importance of customization and that whole anticipatory? So I think, Jennifer, you said, you know, you find out they have a child with chicken nuggets and maybe they send that storybook up. How do we train our people to be thoughtful and anticipatory so that they can meet those, those expectations that customize expectation that so many guests are looking for today. Luke, do you want to kind of offer some perspective there? Sure, happy to. One of the first things, as you mentioned, is the data. So what do they have? We could either when they check in or when they make a reservation, you could see if they've had past experiences in the hotel or restaurants, wherever your venue is, there's data. And now we have even more data and we're, 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 mining this data and we're putting it into the system so we know what customers preferences are so once they arrive we can have extra pillows in the room we can have some some special food or an amenity in the room or at the restaurant we know that they uh, may not like a certain uh, i don't know some something on the table or, or they, they don't like extra salt or and the chef would be prepared to 
to to have these things ready or things that they do like um, special dishes, surprise. Uh, this it, it's also like I said, precognitive or, or anticipatory in that you teach people your your staff the awareness. What put yourself in their shoes when you go? And I also coach my team. I said when you go to a restaurant, like what do you do when you're there? Are you observant? Do you do you match the standards there with what we do? And how do they, how do we, how do they fall above our, how do they end up, are they better at certain things or less, you know, less so at, at other things? They're, what are the strong points? What are the weak points? Evaluate your experiences when you stay somewhere. What is it like? What, what is the experience you have? And then take that and apply it to your everyday work. I want to add something to that, Janae. I think it, it goes back to the leadership that is running the department, the area. It's the training. It's the empowerment that the staff can make a decision based on what their interaction was. You know, it can be information that the guest is sharing with you while you're escorting them from, I don't know, point A to point B. And they might not even be talking to you, but they're talking to themselves and saying, so for our, for our anniversary tomorrow night, we should do blah, blah, blah. As a, as a team member, as an employee, if you hear that, you should have the empowerment to go back and I don't know, get them something small and send it to their room, you know, happy anniversary. Thank you for joining us. We're excited. And then put that in the system. So there's a profile. But, but I think it's, again, it's as a leader to be out there, to see it, to feel it, to teach them, to guide them. There's a lot of work that goes into creating those memorable experiences. It doesn't come overnight. As I said, it's a training process. But I think most important is to, to tell your team, make a decision. If this was you that is celebrating your anniversary and you just mentioned that to someone, what would you want? Make a decision, ask for forgiveness later, hopefully you're not giving away everything, but just make a decision. You know, I think a great service or like a best in class service is just take care of them. The last thing I, I, I don't appreciate when something happens and the team members are like, well, hold on, let me go check with my manager. No, no, no. You're here for a reason. You are hired, you're trained, you're ready to take care of the guest. Right. It's about empowerment. 100%. Right? And on that, so let me, Afsi, great point. And I think too, I always tell the staff, make a decision. Let's say we're falling behind the, the, our level. What's the, we set the bar at a level. And during the experience, while they're in our care, we have an opportunity to make it right. Let's lift the bar back right. up. What do we have to do? I don't care. Make a decision. Do it. Don't find a manager. Exactly. Get something. Send something out. Comp something off. Exactly. Send them an extra drink. Whatever it might be. Let's write the experience so that we're not seeing it in it, on Yelp or Open Table later on, or in any reviews, whatever the platform they you they have, in a negative way. And that you, so you can you know, save the experience, you know. I mean, imagine if it's like your birthday, your anniversary, and you just mention it in passing, and I sent you something to your room, and I make a comment in your profile, and the next day you're checking out, and I say, oh my God, I know it was your anniversary. I mean, the guest is going to say what? Wow. How did you know? And that's the, that's the effect. that that's, that's what we're looking for. Just that three letters. Wow. How did you know? And that was only by me as the team team member walking you from A to B, and I overheard it, and then I took the action. Can I? Can I, yeah, add in here. See, that actually comes from teaching them to be situationally aware. 
All right. right. Your team. And also the big one really, because many people say this in our industry. All right. Going into that next step. But to do that, they have to know that they're supported to do it, that go ahead and make that. And I will support you in what you're doing. All right. Because sometimes they won't make that decision because they've made decisions on their own. They've tried to be proactive and they've gotten into trouble with their management on it. So I think Asi is right on that, that you have to kind of train them, teach them, call them. And Luke has mentioned that as well. That's very important. There's another way to do this as well. When people come in, I know uh, high-end hotels like the Milestone in London, always before a guest comes, sends a guest preference sheet. So they know what the guest loves in music and, and reading and if it, their color is pink. So you go into the room and the music that you want is playing. The things that you're interested, the magazines are on the table. You go to the spa and you take yoga and there's a pink yoga mat for you because pink is your favorite color. Now, there's two ways to do that. The guest preference sheet. We used to have it as a butler or something called a pantry book. So if you came to my home and you liked a certain food or a cocktail, and I didn't see you for 20 years, it didn't matter. When you came in, that food or that cocktail was there because I put it down. There's two ways to do it. The guest preference sheet. The other is, again, as Afsi and Luke are saying, is our team is situationally aware. So they're picking up that information, that intel, and we're building that profile on our guests to better serve our guests, to have, as Afsi said, that wow moment, that some we went above and beyond we've exceeded their expectations and that connection while wow, they remember. It makes someone feel important. It's that human connection again. Can you make it? Okay. No, I absolutely love this. I, I absolutely love this. This is so great. Um, little time check here. We got about 11 minutes. We have a couple of questions in the Q&A and I certainly want to leave a couple of minutes um, to address those. So if anyone has additional questions, then please send them to us in the Q&A and I, I promise we'll get to them. Um, I did have one last question that I wanted to kind of get some perspective, and I'll, I think I'll start off with you, Jennifer. So when we think about social media and the impact that social media has on our daily lives and everything that we do, but particularly with hospitality. So I was um, actually in Las Vegas this weekend, and I was at a restaurant, my steakhouse, and this table of, I'm going to probably call them generation between Y and Z were there. And they had ordered these huge steaks. And everybody was at one point standing up taking pictures of their steak, right? And you know they're posting it, right? And so likewise, you have situations where things go left or they don't go great. And sometimes organizations, hotels, casinos don't get the opportunity to fix it and make it right before it's posted on social media. So what advice or what perspective can you offer on how organizations can manage the social media component, right? Um, our goal, of course, is to make things right, to, to, to create a wonderful experience, but when they do go left, to make things right. But how do we manage those situations where they become posted or it kind of you know, leaves you and it kind of takes on a life of its own? Any thoughts or perspectives um, from you, Jennifer? And I, I, I would open that up to the rest of the team as well, the rest of the panel. Well, I look forward to hearing from from everyone else on this, but from our perspective and taking a look at the guest experience, we all know, you know, we, we used to be the only inspectors out there. And now every single person that goes to a restaurant is an inspector, every single person that goes to the hotel and they're posting. And, you know, it just goes back to making sure in a restaurant, for example, that that culinary team is so proud of what they're producing 
And Mm -hmm. they've talked to the marketing team, the front of the house service team on why this meal is so special. Because if you're placing that, for example, in front of the guests, but they don't really know the story behind it, they can't smell everything, they can't see the beauty, then all of a sudden their social posting could go the wrong way. So, you know, it starts back in the kitchen and it flows all the way to the guest and it depends on how it's served. And so you can't stop it. You know, we know that. But I really do think we teach this all the time. If you make that connection, especially at the very beginning and you are watching and you are listening and you're thinking about anything you can possibly do to engage this guest so that it's a positive experience, then typically you're not going to have that negative feedback for social. If you do, then, you know, it goes to training on how to respond to those negative comments and, you know, how to take responsibility for it. Right. John, any perspectives on that? You know, there's an old saying, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. And that's even more so now in the world of social media. But let's say something happens and we've had this at, at the Pines. Um, there was, it was put on a blog that, you know, the dinner started, it didn't go well, but the two team members, the server, and I remember Alex was the assistant manager, really rescued and recovered that situation. And they did such a good job. They gave them five stars. They gave them a five-star rating. They said they were absolutely fabulous. They would come back to the pines again. And I think that's really important to understand that we do have that. You have that only one chance to make that impression. But as Jennifer said, can you bring that that warmth to it. Can you talk, create that connection with the guest if there is a problem? I always tell tell them you're building up that social capital for that time when things don't go right, that you have that capital to use to create that connection so you can recover that situation and bring that person back. You know, and it's very important. You can't let that person walk out the door. Not today, not in the world of social media. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's something that we are definitely looking at here at Yamava Resort um, and Casino, and how do we marshal all of the different forms and and platforms of social media to make sure that we are paying attention and that we are creating the right voice and the right tone that represents Yamava. So that is um, a a major feat in and of itself. So um, I promised that we would get to a couple of the questions in the chat, and um, we have one question that is um, very interesting, and this is really kind of from a career perspective. I think you guys are absolutely the right people um, to to address this. How can I make a jump from a frontline customer service job to a management position? Um, They feel as though they've had a number of years, three, four years of experience, and they're ready to make that jump. Any perspectives on characteristics, um, behaviors that they could demonstrate in order to um, convince that their manager and the leader of that department that they're ready to move into supervision and management. Well, um, I'll I'll start if I may. Is I think that I think the key thing is to make their manager or management aware that they're interested in getting to the next level. And what? How am I doing so far? Mm-hmm. What do I need to improve upon? And what's your advice? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree with Luke 100%. Also, I guess I I don't know if they mentioned it or not. Is it in the same like area, division, department, or are they trying to go from like front desk to accounting? So that those are two different skill sets. 
But I think mm-hmm. the open transparency com- communication with your manager, hey, this is my interest. What do you think? What do I need to do for my next step? Right, right. I, I think too. Um, Go ahead. I I think too, the consistency, are you there on the job? Are you performing that process again and again, uh, holding Mm -hmm. to the process? How do you work with your team? Are you working with your team? Are you showing those characteristics of a leader? All right. That's all that they're really going to assess on. I I know people want to make that jump, but are you doing what you need to do to to build Mm -hmm. that resume to make that jump or make that move? That's important. Absolutely. And, um, you know, a part of the question talked about that they've been in the job for three years and they felt that they were ready. Um, But time doesn't necessarily equate to readiness, right? It's a demonstration of your performance. And, um, you know, receiving feedback, asking for feedback, and really looking toward continuous improvement. So, you know, that it's not the easiest answer, but I think you all gave some really, really valid perspectives and some tips and ideas on, on how to move your career forward. Um, we have another question in the um, Q&A. Um, can you provide some actual practical examples of excellent service versus good service? And I know we talked about being anticipatory, being intuitive, taking in information and responding accordingly. But are there any other examples you can provide for this viewer on excellent service versus good service? I think excellent service is, I think excellent service is, again, it goes just what everything that we just talked about, like, you know, anticipatory going above and beyond. But it's like, like, for example, checking somebody in, I can just give them direction to the elevator go to the left, take a right, take elevator, go up to level five, get out, make a left. That's a that's not even a good service. That's just service. Like I'm giving you directions, right? So the excellence in my opinion is, you know, escorting the guest to the elevator, having a conversation. How was your trip in? Where are you coming from? I see you coming from Los Angeles. I hope you know, four or five wasn't too bad. Do you already have dinner reservations? That's what makes us excellent and better than just a normal service. That's just my opinion. I think Asi made a really good point that you're you. There's two things that you're doing here. It's attention teachers. Almost the story that Jennifer brought in about putting that small book storybook for the child. So you're having that small attention to detail. Again, it's attention to detail, but it's also creating that connection with your guest, taking that time, and even you know, being situationally aware, let's say I'm leading them, you know, where I'm escorting them to the elevator and I'm chatting a little bit. I notice they're not chatting. They don't want to talk. So now I'm going to dial that back down because I'm, I'm kind of connected in I'm situationally aware, and that's where I really want to be. I want to be able to have that attention to detail, but also connect to my guests and make that adjustment. Some people not may not be big on communication. Others may just want to chatter, chatter, chatter. And that's Mm -hmm. where you begin to learn. And then you begin to understand your guests. And I think that's really what separates, you know, here's good service and here's exceptional service is really kind of queuing in, you know, on those details. Yes, I think to, to add to that, John and, and Apsi, is to when you when people come into your home or your restaurant or your hotel or wherever, you're taking them into your care and to really genuinely care for them and treating them as such and anticipating what they need 
if I'm having dinner, you know, each service is marked, each course is marked correctly. I don't have to pick up the bottle of wine out of the of, of the, the, the the chiller, the the and they pour it for me. Uh, things of that nature. When you get up and your your napkins folded and you have a new napkin, and they do these things for you over and over and over again, and that's a delightful experience. It, it would almost be. Oh, go ahead, John. No, 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 go go ahead, Jennifer. No, no, please. I, it, it, I, if I had to really kind of bottom line this out, it was almost like if someone came to your home that you valued, all right, <laughs> that you thinks highly of, how would you treat them? All right. Because uh, the guest is the jewel that rides upon the cushion of hospitality, as it was once said. <laughs> I love well, you that. Can, you can tell that we're all, we, we love service. I just have to tell you two super quick stories because they're from hotels that you wouldn't expect. That's a challenge. Yamava is a luxury hotel. I mean, it already has a reputation and it's going to be amazing. And the challenge will be for everybody to follow through on that service. And I know they will. But here's a very brief story recently that happened to me when I'm flying out of a city and I have a really early morning flight. I'll usually go to the airport hotel, Fairfield Inn by Marriott. So, you know, very limited service. And I arrived late. It was about midnight, 1130 midnight. And the night auditor was already on. And so I said, I have to leave here at four in the morning. And so how much time should I should I leave, you know, to make sure I get to the airport? So the woman told me, I came down, I checked out at four in the morning, she was there and she had coffee on a little tray. This is a Fairfield Inn. She had coffee in a styrofoam cup with some creamer. And she said, I don't know, you know, how you wanted it, but I knew you were coming at four, you might need this. This is a Fairfield Inn. At another hotel, very similar limited service. I had a rental car and I had a pack of gum on, on, you know, the, in the middle area of the car and it was gone. And I mean, I had emptied it. And the next morning when I received my vehicle, I had a new pack of gum and nobody ever said, this is from me, Jennifer. I mean, it was just there. So those are the kinds of things that are exceptional. Right. The small pack of gum, the coffee and the styrofoam container, and makes the difference. Wow. Thank you for sharing those stories. And hopefully to our viewer who had that question, that these were some really, really great examples of excellent service versus good service. Um, we are actually two minutes over, and I'm so mindful of the time. I want to thank each and every one of you. Axby, awesome job. We work together. So appreciate our relationship and the work that you do. John, thank you so much. Jennifer, always a pleasure, and we absolutely appreciate your perspective. And Luke, thank you so much. So excited to be working with you as well, and look forward to um, learning more about you. You guys all have passion, great stories and really share some pearls today. And I think if we had um, this one phrase, Luke, I think you said it, we're taking you under our care. And that means a lot. So thank you to all of you who, who tuned in to um, watch this great discussion today. We wish you the very best. And as always, if you're interested in a, a great career opportunity of growth and just some wonderful experiences, take a look at us at Yamaha Resort and Casino at Demo Well. So thank you.